A few days ago, I had to pick up my brother's passport down uh, downtown. And so I get there, I'm all excited because I found the perfect parking spot right at the front. Perfect one hour parking. And so I get in, um, I've got my little green slip giving me permission to pick up the passport. I go in and there's this big long line. And I'm like, oh no. But I walk all the way past the big line, go to the security guard and say, hey, where do I pick up passports? He's like, oh, that's upstairs. I'm thinking, yes, all right. So I'm going up the escalator. I've got it all ready. I'm confident, I'm feeling good. I get up and then I look and there's this crowd, a crowd larger than this crowd, circling the entire thing. I'm like, no, 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 not possible, not possible. So I walk to the single door. There's one door open with no sign above it. Um, I walk over there, and sure enough, I ask around, this is the line. It's a long, long line. And my perfect parking spot instantly becomes a problem. So... I quickly, I quickly make a friend at the end of the line. I run off, change parking, get back, meet up with him, and then I go on the long, slow journey around the entire space for that single door that has the passport. The key to my brother and I going on our trip to Maui this week. The line was long, but the destination, worth it. Yep. Um, I can imagine the disciples and all of those following Jesus a week ago. They are in a crowd. There's momentum. It's exciting. There's energy. And they are with Jesus. There's banners waving, flags waving, palm branches. People are laying out coats. This is the moment. This is exciting. The journey has been long, but the destination worth it. James and John, they start talking. They start asking Jesus, hey, can we like be on your left and right when the kingdom comes? Can we be, have that authority? You know, we have Peter saying, Jesus, nothing is going to stop this. Nothing. Not even the words that you're saying right now. Nothing's going to get in the way of this Judas, you know, he's getting a little antsy and he's starting to make plans to speed things up, move things along. God's blessing was clearly on Jesus. The moment was coming. So the line ended eventually. It was a bit over three hours and I made some friends along the way. Um, I even bumped into an old friend who was a hundred people in front of me and I yelled over and I was like, hey, how much to trade spots with you? To which he did not reply. Well, he did reply. He said no, to which then everyone else around me is laughing like, come on, there's going to be no deals in this long line. But, you know, so selfish of them. Like, I, I asked, I asked to jump a line, but, you know, eventually uh, I get to the end passport in hand, check. Perfect Maui view in my mind. Do we have a Maui picture yet? Perfect Maui view in my mind, check. Perfect accommodations, check. Honestly, it kind of felt like everything was like riding a bike down a hill. You know when there's that moment, everything is just working together, things are coming together? Unbeatable, honestly, unbeatable ticket prices. So good, check. Paperwork done. 
This was my first trip in two years, and my brother's first trip in like 20 years. No joke. And then yesterday, I got this photo from my brother. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh, you're supposed to cry. (laughs) Trip canceled. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is a real story. That happened yesterday. Um, thank you for the honest. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Um, the followers of Jesus were in shock. They were grief-stricken. Everything had gone completely wrong. Everything had gone wrong. The momentum of just one week ago, Gone. They rushed Jesus off the cross. They put him in a tomb just in time. They didn't even have a chance to do it well. Have you ever worked so hard towards something, believing so hard that something was meant to be, that everything was going in the right direction? There was this godly momentum, and then, and then it just goes sideways. You know, I thought God was in this. I thought... This was the plan, right? Well, today, April 17th, 2022, we are in a world where we are figuring out how to live when it feels like all of our plans and dreams are on very thin ice, where hopes are so often being dashed and the rug pulled out from under us. What do we do when everything seems to go wrong? The story of Easter has never been more important than it is today. Maybe it was more important, however, for the first disciples. With our world being turned upside down, the message of Easter is very relevant. The first disciples, like you and I, they faced disappointment, frustration, confusion. They believed so hard in something only to have it go so completely wrong. They looked to each other and they wondered, I I thought God was in this. Wasn't there momentum here? Wasn't everything working together? I thought this plan was, was right. If you've lost hope, if your belief in God is struggling, if you are filled with doubt over this whole Jesus thing, you are in good company. These first-hand accounts make it eminently clear the rug was pulled out from them in a big way. The good news starts with confusion. Nobody thought this was the plan. Everyone had given up hope. And for some of you today, all you can think about is how everything seems to be going wrong in your life. You're debating about walking away from your faith, from church. Maybe you've had a strong sense that God has been calling you to missions, to be a pastor, to do compassionate ministry, something, and it all feels like it's going sideways. Those two disciples, when they left Jerusalem, only a week ago or who knows when, they were going towards Jerusalem. They had a purpose. They had a mission. They were following their leader, and now they were leaving because they had no reason to stay. They were walking away because everything had gone wrong. They were in grief, confusion, frustration, hopelessness. When Jesus died, their hope died. When Jesus died, Cleopas 
and the others started packing their bags, the adventure had ended. And then in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 1, it says that uh, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought or bought spices so that they uh, might anoint the body of Jesus. Are these the actions of three ladies who believed anything other than this one fact that Jesus was dead? They gathered what little money they had to buy expensive perfume to anoint the beaten, dead, and decomposing body of Jesus. Is this the group who had hope? I don't think so. Those years of sitting at his feet, learning his ways, those years of seeing him demonstrate power that could only come from God, seeing him demonstrate a path that they could follow that would give them purpose and focus and a good life, seeing him have a passion for people and a heart for God, it all fit together and they, here it is, it's all evaporated, now it's over. And their last act of devotion, purchase perfume for a corpse. In every single gospel account, the disciples willingly, willingly uh, thought, like truly believed that the cross was the end. They willingly admitted admitted that they had no idea. They freely disclosed that information. All those teaching about Jesus Talking about his death, it flew over all of their heads. They had no clue. The death of Jesus took everyone by surprise, and everyone had completely given up hope. This Jesus moment, this Jesus movement, was basically over before it even started. The miracles were gone. Go home. Go back to the nets. Go back to banking. Go back to begging. Just, what's there to hold on to? And if I was there, I would have expected Jesus to be dead too. Because dead things, in my personal experience, stay dead. Um, there, was, there was no crowd at the tomb. There wasn't a finish line where people were selling t-shirts and hot dogs while people were waiting for Jesus to break through the tomb. And everyone was like, yes, here it is. There was none of that. It was quiet. No one was around. No one believed. So if if you have your doubts, so did they. If you have given up on faith, well, they had given up too. This honest account in all of the Gospels, uh, it's often overlooked. I think we jump straight past it to the good news. But we need this disappointment in the story. It helps us see our own weakness in it all. And it also reveals the truth of Easter. The disciples, the disciples could have written the story of Jesus to make them look a little bit better. They could have strengthened their image, which overall might have improved their message. It might have improved their case to other people. Because if they were all confused, none of them got it, why would anyone believe any of it? Even his followers were confused. But they didn't feel any need to hide their shame. They were confident that the real story, the unvarnished events, were enough. So confident were they that they chose to keep the eyewitnesses, the women. They chose to keep it true. 
They chose to leave that in because a, a woman's testimony was essentially on par with a slave or a criminal, barely held up in court, but they chose to keep that in. The gospel writers chose to allow the story to be less credible at the cost of it being true. And how often do we feel the need to exaggerate our stories to strengthen our case? They did not feel that need. They didn't care about the case. They had something else, something greater, something that gave them a firm and unshakable hope, a firm and unshakable foundation. They had a new hope that shattered their small thinking and their small hope that they had. Their their problem wasn't that they had hoped. Their problem was that they had hoped way, 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 way too little. Their hope was small. God's plan was so fundamentally bigger than anyone could even have imagined or understood. They could not see it. That is, until they did. They encountered the risen Jesus, and everything changed. They were walking away from Jerusalem until a man joins them. But, Pastor Trent, you're thinking, you know, they they met Jesus. They, They met a man. They saw him. They touched him. They saw him in all of his glory. But here in my pain and in my frustration, um... I'm not really seeing much of a risen Jesus. My my encounters don't really have that on it. And yes, their encounter was unique to them, and I would love a face-to-face while on earth with the risen Jesus. I would love that. Who wouldn't love that? Well, there might be actually some people who wouldn't love that. We pray for those people. But honestly, we would love that. And you know what? The second generation Christians, the ones that were reading the gospel of Mark or Luke or James or John, they they were wishing for the same thing. They were wishing that the eyewitness account of their parents could be their experience too. And yet, they still encountered him. And for generation upon generation, Christians have testified that Jesus is not dead He is alive. I'd like to invite Laurel to come on up. Here is a story of of what encountering Jesus might look like. I encounter the risen Christ every day. I have encountered him in very dark places and in very joyful ones. The ways in which I have come to encounter Jesus in the very mundane moments of my life has been in a very faithful, steadily progressive way. It isn't necessarily something I would have noticed initially, but God has continued to reveal himself to me despite the roadblocks that I have set up at times around my heart and my mind. Coming to recognize God working in and being present in every moment has meant that I hold steady to the promises of who God has revealed himself to be in his word. And it also means that I hold to the identity that God has given to me by being an adopted child of God. 
When I encounter Jesus in my day, it is because of the Holy Spirit working in my life to reveal his love, his peace, his goodness, and his spirit. When I see God working, it continues to inspire me to listen to him and to respond to him in obedience, even when I feel uncomfortable or sad. The best way I can describe my encounters with Jesus are an adventure. The more I trust God and lean on him, that he is going to work, the more I get to experience his miracles firsthand. Sometimes I recognize after the fact that God has done something, and I end up in a completely different place, theoretically, because of what God has done. It excites me to know that despite what I do or I don't do, that God does more. I've had people say things to me that acknowledges that they see God working in my life, and I am aware of how my actions can point people to Christ or could discourage them from him. My name is Laurel, and I am the wife to Stephen, the director of operations here at First NAS. We have three children, Hannah, age five, Jonathan, age four, and Micah, age two. I am a pastor who currently is staying at home to take care of our children who have various physical and medical needs. Like most of you, the year 2020 is and will always be very memorable. The year 2020 was the year that my husband and I learned that our two boys, Jonathan and Micah, have a severe life-threatening disease called Barth syndrome. Barth syndrome is so rare that only about 300 individuals in the world have been diagnosed with this. And being so rare, there were many roadblocks around coming to find the diagnosis and then working with our medical team to develop a care plan that would be in the best interest of the boys to help them thrive. Barth syndrome is a mitochondrial disease that affects your muscles. And with the heart being the major life-sustaining muscle, um, we are monitored, they, I should say, are monitored regularly by our cardiologists because both of them have a great risk of going into sudden cardiac arrest and needing a heart transplant at some point in their lives. Um, the risk of going into an infection or having an infection is also common with Barth syndrome, and Jonathan has been hospitalized many times for various ones. Stephen and I have been told that our son Micah would in fact need a heart transplant, and we have had various individuals, including medical literature, remind us that this condition comes with a shortened life expectancy, as well as with many physical, mental, and emotional challenges. This disease is also X-linked, which means I pass this faulty gene on to our boys genetically, and our daughter could be a carrier for the disease as well. Before knowing our boys had a life-threatening medical condition, I had established a relationship with Jesus at a very young age. He was and has always been actively involved in my life, and I would be lying if I said that he has not been present in my life before this pivotal year of 2020. However, it is difficult to describe how different my encounters are with Jesus now compared to before our world turned forever upside down. This new life of ours has made me wrestle with who God is, who I am, and I've had to make that crucial decision. Would I let this diagnosis pull me away from Christ or would it pull me closer to him? Coming to the conclusion that it would not pull me away from him, I remember praying to ask God to help me 
have courage to walk through whatever we may have to walk through and to give me the strength to endure it. When we found out Micah also had Barth syndrome, we had been holding out a hope that somehow he did not have this terrible disease. I wanted to cry, pass out, and be sick all at the same time when our hematologist said, let me cut to the chase, Micah also has Barth syndrome. To this day, I think back to that moment, and I am a completely different person now in so many respects because of that. My day-to-day -day looks like providing feeds through gastric tubes for both of our boys as they struggle with feeding themselves orally, administering medication multiple times a day, taking boys to and from medical appointments, sometimes multiple in a day, usually several in a week, as well as to therapy and to school. I have had the thought many times that the Alberta Children's Hospital is our second home, and we utilize almost every single clinic at the hospital as an outpatient, as well as find ourselves in the emergency room on average of one to two times a month. To say I have been thrown into the deep end of learning how to navigate a rare medical diagnosis feels like an understatement. I also have come to see that God is calling me to the people who are similarly in very difficult seasons of caring for and, and managing these um, difficult illnesses or terminally ill ones. I also have seen God calling me to minister to the various medical professionals that make up our team. As a pastor, I recognize that I have a unique passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus with those who do not yet know him. One of the ways I've experienced the risen Savior in my life on a daily basis has been by him changing my perspective of what our family is going through and allowing me to have eyes to see and ears to hear those around me. Many times I've wanted to hunker down and be inwardly focused on my fear, anxiety, or worry. But God has shown me through all that we have gone through how to see our doctors the way he sees them. He has given me words to say to a parent in an elevator that seemed to come from nowhere, but it turns out to be just what that person needed to hear at that moment. I've been able to share the good news of spending an eternity in heaven with Jesus to another parent who is doubting that this world is all that there is and all that it's meant to be. Two of the people that are high on my list that God is calling me to pray for and reach spiritually for him are two people that could be and is very intimidating to do so. The first is our pediatrician, and the second is another doctor that we have had numerous times when we have been inpatient at the hospital. I have had each doctor ask me how I can be the way I am and think of other people when I am faced with such a terrible, probable future. I've been able to tell them that I have hope in a living God who loves me and loves my boys and has a plan for them that maybe will not end the way that we necessarily um, understand or make sense to us. I specifically think about a sequence of events that led up to a very important conversation I had with our pediatrician last year. Micah, our youngest son, had just been discharged from a lengthy hospital stay of 43 days. About a week later, Stephen and I noticed a large red spot on Jonathan's knee that was growing, and it looked to be like cellulitis, which is an infection of the skin. 
We knew right away we needed to call certain people and let them know this was happening. And Jonathan was able to get in later that day to be seen. Just as we suspected, Jonathan did have a skin infection and he would need IV antibiotics to treat it. Unfortunately, the doctor had a suspicion that this infection was actually stemming from the bone, which would mean another very long hospital stay. This ID doctor decided she would contact our pediatrician, who happened to be the on-call admitting doctor that day, and she came down personally to assess Jonathan, plan to admit him, and to do an MRI to make sure the infection wasn't deep in the bone. She said that day before, she had bumped into another doctor of ours and had a conversation about Jonathan, uh, which was interesting because at the time she was on a leave from the community clinic, so we were actually being overseen by another doctor. I knew at this moment that God was up to something and the circumstances and the timing seemed too specific. Jonathan had an MRI later that morning, but unfortunately following this, he had a severe reaction to the anesthetic, so much so that we had eight nurses in the room monitoring him, watching his stats, making sure that he would be okay. And at this point, our pediatrician came into the room, saw what was happening, probably saw my stress and worry, and she told the other nurses to leave the room and that she would stay and be with me until Jonathan was better. I remember she sat with me on the bed, looking out the window for an hour, just waiting until Jonathan would calm down. Jonathan was probably hitting her face and pulling her hair, but she didn't mind. And she did that until he was all well. Later in the day, she came back to check in and told us that the MRI results were clear, there was no bone infection, thankfully, <laughs> and to tell me that she found a card that I had written to her a couple weeks prior when Micah was in the hospital. She said that she just got to it today because she had some time to go through all the paperwork that was piled above it. God's timing is so amazing because in the card, I don't remember what I wrote specifically, but I know I wrote about him and I wrote about how God has provided for us through an amazing healthcare team. God often gives me specific words to say to people and so I write it down in a card and I'll leave it for them so that they can find them, just like this moment. I remember she looked at me and asked, how do you have so much to give when you experience so much pain? I don't, I don't remember what I said. I think it took me a little bit off guard, but I do know that I talked about the Lord, and I believe that this conversation was the turning point in our relationship. However our story will end, I know it will end in a way that brings God glory. I have purpose and I, I have joy in every moment because of that. Through our short, very dramatic couple of years of entering this clinical world, I have seen God's favor in giving me good relationships with each of our doctors and having the ability to encourage them through our circumstances. I have also recognized that my struggles could be used to help other pastors and churches learn how to truly care for and partner with families with medical complexities like mine. I am excited for where God is leading me because I know his ministry for me will be one that isn't short of experiencing him break through darkness, sickness, and death to bring people into a saving relationship with him. My hope is that I can learn how to become a nurse, 
to have a greater impact in the world that I will now forever be a part of, and to have a stronger ground for having important gospel conversations in the clinical environments we find ourselves in. God is faithful, and he is already providing opportunities for me in this area, and I am confident he will continue to do so. While we do not know the ending of our story, I know the God who is alive will be with me every step of the way. The disciples were walking away and God met them on the road. And by the Holy Spirit, God meets you where you are at today. Are you walking away right now? The presence of God is coming in beside you. Our God will not leave you, will not forsake you. Because he is risen, he can and always will be able to have the strength to come and join with you. The presence of God is present in your hurt and in your confusion, and it is offering out hope. Hope that is too crazy to believe. It is a crazy hope that a man was raised from the dead. It rewrites history. It rewrites the way we think about the universe. It, it rewrites everything. But it's a hope that's too good to not at least explore. Hope that no disciples believed until they saw Jesus with their own eyes or they accepted by faith the message of those they trusted. And in accepting that message, they discovered the presence of God. Three things, four things. Do you want to encounter the risen Jesus? The Holy Spirit desires to help you see and know the risen Jesus. Invite our God to speak into your life, to give you eyes to see what's going on around you. Second, do you want to encounter the risen Jesus? Look to God's word. The end of Mark is abrupt and strange and confusing, and it leads us back to the beginning. It invites us to read with the knowledge that he is raised and start all the way back at Galilee, at where Jesus demonstrates his power and reveals again. It's a beautiful, circular way of thinking about the gospel of Mark, that as you reach the end, it leaves on a cliffhanger. They ran away afraid. Well, where do we find Jesus? Let's go back to Galilee, back to the beginning where we see and read with new eyes. That's the power of the good news, the gospel, the, the written word. We can see our Lord in that. Third, where do we encounter the risen Jesus? We listen to stories of those who believe, those who, while in difficulty, still see God at work. And do you want to encounter the risen Jesus? Participate in the works of of God. Worship the Lord's table, acts of service to the least of these. The worship team is going to come up, the kids are going to come back in, and I, my encouragement to you 
is make the decision to make space for our risen Jesus to encounter you through word, through worship, through the fellowship of others, through the Spirit of God working and knocking on your heart. He is risen and he is going ahead of you. This is good news.